On behalf of Yarra Libraries, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung as the traditional owners and true sovereigns of the land now known as Yarra. I also acknowledge the significant contributions made by other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to life in Yarra, and pay my respects to Elders from all nations, past, present and future. Welcome back to another Short Story Club episode of the Yarra Libraries podcast, where we discuss a short story that you can access for free online today. For this episode, we have Nell and Todd from our community programs team to discuss James Baldwin's story, Sunny's Blues. These episodes are best enjoyed after you've read the story. So if you haven't just yet, then click pause, follow the link in our show notes and read that before coming back to us. Nell, for those who read it a while ago, would you mind refreshing our listeners' memory? Absolutely. This is a story about the relationship between two brothers set against the backdrop of 1950s Harlem, and it is very much shaped by that place and time and including the racial politics of that time. It's the only James Baldwin I've read, and it's fantastic, and it's very long, and it really just charts the ups and downs of that relationship and their eventual reconciliation. So, Todd, I adored this story. It was, as I said, as I mentioned, it's the first and only thing of James Baldwin's I've read thus far. And I would be really interested to know what you thought of the story. What were your first impressions? Well, my very first impression was uh, that I liked it. Then I thought again about it and I realised actually how much the story yields and like how much a reader can get from it in terms of both the ideas and then also the techniques that are used in it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess if I was to summarise it in maybe one or two, well, let's go with two words, I would just say like ideas and technique. What about you? Well, yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I thought it yielded so much, but because of the kind of wisdom that runs through it. So you, for anyone listening, Todd has a master's in creative writing. Is that right, Todd? How would you? Uh, yes. Yeah. And takes a group called the Write In. So Todd definitely looks at things from a writer's perspective, whereas I did one semester of literature at university and found it really hard because I just read to read and I'm not great at seeing the structure and the things behind the stories. But what I got from this was that not only does it tell this kind of very tragic but very hopeful story, but that there were these just absolute pearls of wisdom and these really profound statements within it. So, uh, yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, yeah. I second uh, that point. Um, and, yeah, going back to what I was talking about with ideas and technique, um, there were a few in particular that really stood out for me. And the more and more I thought about it and the more and more I dived back into the story to analyse them a bit more, the more and more it yielded and the more and more I appreciated it. So that's how it went from a four and a half to a five um, mm. on my end. So. Mm. Baldwin finds a place for the personal within the larger political and the societal context. Like it's it's this very personal relationship between brothers. It keeps that the whole way through. And again, it's set against the backdrop. It isn't necessarily about the racial politics, though it is, right? Um, because we are also part of a larger community. There was this heightened register that I think Baldwin writes in, and it's almost biblical. And there's definitely the weight of fate in there, like setting descriptions, like how scenes are constructed. So particularly 
conversation between uh, the narrator's mother and the narrator. You know, we get clues as to what to expect. So when I read it with that in mind, I read it as having the possibility for lessons to be learned and, you know, for wisdom to be found in the text of what you were saying about the wisdom, right? You know, in the same way that people look to things like the Bible and Quran for guidance. And so I definitely got that in terms of um, that on an ideas level. Um, And then I also really liked that he chose jazz as the type of music that Sonny plays. So Sonny, the brother of the narrator. My layperson's definition of jazz is that um, it's kind of an idiosyncratic expression of music and it's based on like improvisation and having like innovative responses to usual things so like conventional melody and conventional structure and then there's that room for play and then you come back to what is traditional and so like the idea of adding to and making something your own this like idea of freedom of thought which is definitely a through line in the story and yeah i think with character detail Baldwin's really good as well and that stood out to me like particularly and weirdly for me Um, I wasn't expecting this at all, but I really appreciated when he mentioned that the narrator teaches algebra. And so I, yeah, went on a whole tangent with the algebra. Yeah. So, so the narrator essentially teaches a subject, right? Mathematics, but algebra Mm -hmm. within mathematics that deals with proving reality by way of numbers and calculations, right? Mm -hmm. Versus the reality proved by way of things that are felt and through lived experience, right? So the narrator teaching algebra is used as a way to set up the narrator as a certain type of person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That the understanding of the world and other people is through a very specific lens of trying to make calculations. And because Sunny falls outside of that, which is, I guess, to say that Sunny feels his way through things, mainly through creative freedom, you know, jazz and bending rules and that kind of thing. I also realized that algebra uses symbols which stand in for a variety of other things. So it's usually numbers or amounts of things. And so it's actually imbued with so much possibility at the same time. And so I think for me, that also speaks to the narrator himself in the sense that certain things in the story, certain symbols are swapped out for new things. So for example, like the father and the father's brother, their tragic journeys, they're swapped out for the, that's swapped out for the narrator and Sonny's journey. I think that algebra, I'm pretty sure it's Arabic and I think it loosely translates to things that are uncountable or like it's a a reunification of broken parts and so when i read that it was really telling because i mean i was like well yes the story is definitely about a reunification of sorts right so yeah yeah, i mean and algebra is about balance too right isn't it yes and there's so much about darkness and light in this um -hmm. yeah i think you're onto something with the algebra love it oh i enjoyed it it just allowed me to go full ham with the algebra <laughs> what did you think well, one thing that did come up is that we were talking about the role of women in the story one of our short story club attendees didn't like the portrayal of women in the story because she felt that it was a two-dimensional characters 
I got a different impression. I thought that they were definitely kind of side characters to the main plot of the story, but at the same time, incredibly positive portrayals of women and had a very positive influence on the men in their lives. What did you think about the portrayal of women in the story? Yeah, I agree with you. To me, the story is about a relationship between brothers, right? So I understand that as both a reader and a writer, most of the attention on the page needs to be given to the development of that relationship. It goes back to what's the purpose of the story being told and whose story is being told. And so I think it's, I personally think it's simplistic to just label a certain type of character as one-dimensional or two-dimensional or whatever and not ask why certain representations might be the way they are. And I think thinking of it in terms of like, well, what are the terms under which these characters operate in the story um, rather than necessarily relating it to, you know, how women are represented in the outside world. Um, I know right in the beginning, uh, or in one of the earliest passages, women are expressing freedom through music, and that's how they're described. Um, but it's through the narrator's lens, right? And the narrator, as we already know, is someone who has a particular understanding of the world and other people. And so the woman, in, I think, necessarily refracted through the lens of the narrator and not their own as their own people, right? Mm -hmm. So I think in this case, it speaks to the narrator's inability to understand the experiences of others, you know, Sunny being one of those people. And so, yeah, I took it as the descriptions are designed to color our view of the narrator, not our view of woman in general. So for yeah. example, yeah. the barmaid is never named. Mm. Like and she's, she's described the barmaid. as a as a semi whore. We did talk about that actually. Mm. And we did talk about in that in the session is why why has Baldwin described someone that works in a bar as a semi whore? We were all a bit confused by that, but then someone said, talked about the hospitality culture in America and how people have to work so hard for tips. And so right. so there was the idea that maybe in the context of this time and that she would have to work really hard for her tips and would have to flirt. And you talked mm. about the um, narrator's viewpoint and the fact that he's an algebra teacher um, and just that he would bring his own judgments and prejudices. In the story, we learn that he kind of is very reluctant for Sonny to become a musician um, mm. because he sees a, a lifestyle that's not like his, and he's a teacher and he's a stand-up, you know, citizen, that he's quite judgmental of people that he sees as being a bit looser or you know, a bit alternative and that maybe that, that the use of the semi-whore is really not so much about James Baldwin at all, but it's about James Baldwin telling us about the narrator. Yeah, so I, I like drawing a circle around the story or the piece of work and I'm very conscious of the potential issues with making a call about what's happening in a story that someone doesn't like and relating that to the author and their worldview. Mm, um, yeah. yeah, I think in general, why well, I know with uh, Isabel, the narrator's uh, wife, and uh, Mama, the narrator's mother, mm. like what's more profound than being someone who imparts wisdom and who cares for others? 
And so I got that from how Isabel was characterized. And I also got that from how Mama was characterized. Oh, I um, thought they were such beautiful characters, beautiful women, wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah wise, yeah. forgiving. They were almost they were almost held up as kind of the opposite of what the father and Sonny's brother, the narrator, in terms mm-hmm. of so with Isabel, Isabel is a lot more kind of forgiving and empathetic to, towards Sonny um, and kind of probably more self-aware. And the mother, again, the mother talks about things and can can kind of get to the heart of the matter and speak about things that would be very difficult to talk about in comparison to her husband who bottled things up, the murder of his brother, bottled that up. And so it's like these women are kind of held up as something to aspire to, to be more like in a way. One function that a woman has, right, or may have in her life, which is being a mother, but also that idea that mother is representative of home. We have, you know, really high incarceration rates and deaths um, of parental figures, particularly men, you know, for people who are uh, people of colour and in particular African-Americans, right, in the case Mm -hmm. of the US. I think a lot of the time these boys or these children, like, only have their mother left, you know, because their father is in prison or their father Mm -hmm. is dead or, Mm -hmm. you know, their older brother is dead or whatever. And so being a mother in those circumstances means a whole lot. Which says a lot about James Baldwin as well. You know, I think people write from experience and reading this, you could make the assumption that he did have positive female role models growing up and positive relationships So, Todd, what did you think of the use of darkness and light in this story? Light and dark is used to paint people a certain way, both literally and figuratively. So I think there's a a character early on who's like the skin colour and the colour of their eyes and how that appears in the bright sun. Yeah, like the first paragraph is uh, the narrator in the subway car reading about the imprisonment of his brother, reading the newspaper in the swinging lights of the subway carriage, seeing the uh, faces and bodies of the people around him, and then being trapped in the darkness, which was outside. And so James Woolman introduces what the story is going to be about in that first paragraph and one of the main threads that is introduced is this idea of light and dark and he does it quite literally in the first paragraph and so i think the quote yeah the particular passages all they really knew were two darknesses they being young men uh, the darkness of their lives which was now closing in on them and the darkness of the movies which had blinded them to that other darkness and i I really like that um, as a good, like, good figurative use of darkness, that there are multiple darknesses, right, as well as there are multiple lights. So, yeah, there are different intensities of light in the story, and there are different intensities of darkness. And I think what Baldwin does well is gives us a really great range of those darknesses and lights. Mm. What do you think? So I kind of felt like maybe in parts of it, darkness really was kind of racism and I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, how the um, the father who loses his brother to, um, to a hit-and-run murder 
a mm. deliberate hit and run murder. Um, and he says that there was he's never seen anything as dark as the street when the car keeps driving on, mm-hmm. and that complete lack of care and that line about the darkness of that of, of the street after mm. the murder um, really hit me like a like a mm. punch in the stomach. Like it really really affected me. There was a there was a line at, towards the end. And it says, so, so for a while the tale of how we suffer and how we are delighted and how we may triumph is never new, it always must be heard. There isn't any other tale to tell and it's the only light we've got in all this darkness. And I just thought that was a beautiful statement and quite hopeful the way that he's used the word triumph and, you know, the, the tale of how we suffer but also how we are delighted and how we may triumph. Were there, and, and we've talked about this, that there was a lot, there's a lot of beautiful, profound statements. Was there any any that really stood out to you? So is there any particular paragraph, statement or a description that stood out to you as you, as you were reading it? Oh, so many now, so mm. many. <laughs> Borwin is one of those writers or the things that I've read of his where I'm, I'm underlining almost all the time. (laughs) And so that doesn't happen a lot for me. And so I really enjoy that about Baldwin's work, that it produces that response in me. And all the time I'm underlining it going, damn it, I wish I could phrase something like that. (laughs) And he has that particular way. Like, I think successful writing comes from an ability to produce a response in the reader. And by that, I mean the reader thinks to themselves, hell, I don't know a better way that that thing could have been described. The very first paragraph stood out to me. This first paragraph does so much work, and it's really difficult to pull off as a writer, introducing all of the concerns in a single paragraph. Because a lot of writing is, they'll start and then, you know, it'll be like meandering or whatever. And that might Mm -hmm. be the point of the story or the structure and the shape of it, right? But he gets right to the point and gives you a clue as to what the concerns of the story will be, right? Because he he opens with, I read about it in the paper, in the subway, on my way to work. I read it, and I couldn't believe it, and I read it again. Then perhaps I had just stared at it, at the newsprint spelling out his name, spelling out the story. I stared at it in the swinging lights of the subway car, and in the faces and bodies of the people, and in my own face, trapped in the darkness which roared outside. That to me is like, okay, I know what's going to come in this story. And so I get a clue that the narrator is someone who is quite distant from a particular experience. In this case, the experience of his own brother. Because he's reading about his brother and what has happened to his brother in the paper. And so... Right off the bat, you're like, Mm. there's some distance between these two. And then also introduces that idea of the darkness and the light. So, yeah, I I really enjoyed that. Um, And I love a good opening. So I really enjoyed later on when Baldwin wrote, all I know about music is that not many people ever really hear it. And even then on the rare occasions when something opens within and the music enters, what we mainly hear or hear corroborated are personal, private, vanishing uh, evocations. And so I really liked how he was speaking to 
how difficult it is to access the life of other people. And even if you get there, you know, you're still bringing all of your assumptions, right, to that understanding. And so I liked that the passages that spoke to how difficult it is to do the work of understanding someone else, that you can have the lesson and learn the lesson as the narrator does. But even in the end, it's not a full resolution. Yeah. What about you? Like, what? I mean, I love the descriptions of jazz as well. Like, that was really, really cool. Like, the idea of Sonny, uh, all the members of that band, like, being led by one person, Creole, I think is the character's name. And then the narrator conceives of the band talking to each other through their instruments. So the person on the drums says something awful on the drums and Creole answers with his instrument, right? And the drums talk back and the horn insists, you know, and yeah. yeah. And so I really liked that um, he imbued the instruments with, uh, like he personified them, yeah. yeah so I really liked that. Yeah. yeah, I thought the I thought that was so touching. The ending where they all made such a fuss of Sunny. I just loved that. I loved how he <laughs> came in and he was the man. You know, he was the guy that could play the piano like nothing else. And finally, his brother got to see just how much these people appreciated him and held him up um, because he was fantastic at what he did. He was such a good musician. Mm. Yeah, I loved that. I loved the ending and I loved because I did a lot of music as a kid. I played violin and I'd be in so far in the music that it would seem like people talking to each other and I would kind of go into like some kind of weird narrative between the notes. It's just odd, strange feeling. And um, what you said then about the, yeah, about the personification of these instruments and the playing, yeah, it's just beautiful, beautiful. The, the things that really stood out to me as I was, reading it so there's a paragraph about the block of ice melting in his belly to describe the dread about sunny and that that block of ice in your stomach and he said i think he says something like the block of ice that keeps dripping but never gets any smaller and that description of dread i thought was just incredible and just so true you know just like that oh that feeling in your tummy and there were some other things that stood out to me just because they were so profound. And so we're actually doing philosophy sessions at the library at the moment online. And so we're, t- we're thinking about things, you know, about statements and are they true or are they not? And, and so one of the statements was actually from the um, kid that comes to visit uh, the narrator at school. And then he says something about Sonny and he says, he doesn't want to die. He wants to live. Don't nobody want to die ever. That to me was like, what? What? So no one really, no one wants to, everyone wants to live, even people that are suicidal, even people that are trying to escape their lives with drugs or alcohol or other emotional addictions. They, they want to live. And I was like, oh, yeah, actually, of course. They want, so living is living without pain and without suffering. And so everyone wants some kind of semblance of a life that is enjoyable, you know. And so I thought that that was kind of quite profound. There was another statement when he's talking to Sonny. So Sonny's, and he says to Sonny, 
but there's no way not to suffer, is there, Sonny? And he says, Sonny says, it's terrible sometimes inside. That's what's the trouble. You walk these streets, black and funky and cold, and there's not really a living ass to talk to and there's nothing shaking and there's no way of getting it out, that storm inside. You can't talk it and you can't make love with it and when you finally try to get with it and play it, you realise nobody's listening. So you've got to listen. You've got to find a way to listen. And I thought that that was incredible because not only, so when you're feeling kind of depressed and down, one of the problems with feeling really depressed is that feeling of disconnection you get with other humans because you feel like they'll never understand you. So you can really imagine someone walking along the street and seeing all these other humans but feeling like there's no one to talk to because when you kind of go into that, you really see yourself as separate to the rest of humanity, right? You can't do anything with it, so you've got to listen to it yourself. And I think that the wisdom of that, the wisdom of if you're if you're sad and there's there's something inside you that is holding you back or that is making you not you know, live life to the fullest, you've got to be the one to sit down and be with that and, and, and find out what it's about and what's behind it, you know? And if it's anger, what's behind anger? Usually what's behind anger is grief. And I just thought there's so much wisdom in that. I just, I really loved that. Yeah, that's a really good point and reminded me of what the narrator said later on, like towards the end, um, about the freedom that he now understood in watching Sunny on the stage. Oh, yeah. So freedom lurked around us, and I understood at last that he could help us be free if we would listen, that he would never be free until we did. Mm. And it's this idea that we can share the suffering, but the way in which we communicate that suffering will be different because I think in that same conversation the narrator at one point realizes that they should probably listen to what Sonny's saying instead of judging him which is what happened in that first conversation when they were in high school mm-hmm. where he just said Sonny don't be a musician it's a waste of time you got to think of something else to do and how Sonny who's described as being reserved and private didn't have the words or when he communicated it to the narrator, the narrator just wasn't ready to listen, right? And so Mm -hmm. I like that that was repeated in that second conversation, but flipped. And finally, the narrator understood that Sonny communicates in a particular way and their job to understand Sonny takes a different kind of work than they were, you know, doing originally. And so, Yeah. yeah, that I really love that in terms of, how their relationship plays out because that I think is a very universal thing, right? Trying to, you know, having expectations of someone else, uh, particularly really important people in your life because you feel invested in their lives, right? And you want them to be successful, mm-hmm. but then you got to remember that all of your advice comes, you know, with your biases, your assumptions, there was a lot of growth within the narrator, which mm. was, which I loved. Mm. So, Todd, have you been reading anything recently that you either really liked or really hate? I reread uh, Baldwin's The Fire next time. 
so I own a copy of that and I love reading that. And it's actually something that before you asked me to feature in this episode, it's something that I reread and I love rereading it for all of the reasons that I previously stated in this episode. I just, I really enjoy his writing style. I get the impression from him that he's, he writes in the way he speaks and you can tell that he was a great orator. And so, yeah, I really like reading um, The Fire Next Time. So yeah, read that. And I'm reading a book called Among the Lost. And it's by an author named uh, Emiliano Monge. And it's either Monge or Monge. Um, Mexican writer, and so in Mexican Spanish, and has been translated into English. And so the novel tells the story of two people orphaned in a migrant struggle to cross a national border into a land that they call um, Paraíso, or Paradise. And these two people are now involved in the capture and trafficking of others trying to cross the same border. And so that in itself is an interesting story to me, but the story also adds texture um, by weaving in phrases from uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, as well as quoting testimonies from migrants try- who have tried to cross the Mexico-US border. And so, yeah, it's a mix of uh, fiction and nonfiction, but then also like you know, the divine comedy. And then what's interesting is that when the translator translated it into English, it added more texture because to kind of approximate the cadences of the original, the translator drew yet more inspiration from like the King James version of the Bible and then uh, works that uh, Milton wrote. And so it just has so many layers and I'm enjoying reading it. Uh, yeah, because it has so many layers. There's a lot to appreciate in it. Yeah, that's what I'm reading. That sounds pretty amazing, actually. It sounds a lot deeper and heavier than the last book I finished, which was uh, Marion Keys, um, mm. Grown Ups. I didn't really enjoy it until the last quarter when there was a little romance that uh, snuck in. And, and I'm a sucker for romance. So as soon as that came in, I was like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to finish it. But before that, I was like, why am I struggling through this? I've read one of hers before and I absolutely loved it. But I was on like a boat in Turkey as a 23-year-old and was doing absolutely nothing but lying around on a boat and having the time of my life, really. And so I think, I don't know whether this book is, I didn't find a way in. The characters weren't particularly likeable. There was someone called Nell in the book, which was interesting because Nell's quite an unusual name. So I was kind of like, oh, maybe I should be, you know, maybe I'll continue with it and read it wasn't that good though it just wasn't I don't know it just was quite surfacey but then sometimes I think her stuff is quite surfacey but it's usually quite comforting I don't know have you ever read any of hers Todd I have not no no it's probably too light for you and well I like yeah. I like light things now <laughs> you like light things <laughs> yeah I can do light <laughs> But it was weird because there was this – so I'm a massive fangirl when it comes to Pearl Jam and Fleet Foxes. They're my two bands. They both come from Seattle and they're both completely different styles of music. One's like folk, one's like rock. And there was this whole section, like a full – the start of one of the chapters was about a couple going to a Fleet Foxes concert and how incredible the concert was and how each song was better and more beautiful than the next. And, and I was like, oh, Marion Key, she's a fangirl. She's definitely a fangirl. But then there was also another character in it 
that had an addiction. And so I felt maybe I was supposed to read this book because I'm addicted to bands and to kind of looking them up online and stuff and, you know, keeping in, in, the, new, in the know of what's happening with them when really it doesn't add any value to my life. So I took that as a bit of a sign from the universe that maybe I need to get off the forums, you know. So I think I've read that book more as a bit of a kick in the shins to wake up and actually be present in my life. And I also, so that was light reading, but then I've been reading, I started something quite heavy called The Body Keeps the Score. Have you heard of that, Todd? I've heard of it, but remind me what it's about. So it's by a guy called Bessel van der Kolk, um, and it's basically a, a book about trauma and how trauma lives in our bodies and and how basically people that have had really traumatic experiences behave in these really strange ways because their entire brain chemistry has been messed with. And so it's really interesting to kind of, I think, along the lines of maybe the, the brain that changes itself or something like that. So it's fascinating. And I started reading it when I was feeling a bit, I was in a bit of a rut emotionally and I started reading it and it lifted my spirits in that moment because I think reading what other people have been through and how they've overcome these horrible horrific things kind of was a bit of a wake-up call for me but then I finished Marion Key's book and I went back to it the other night and I think it was just too much because it literally made me cry reading about the experiences of some of these these people what they've gone through as children so I actually went to sleep feeling a bit teary. And then when I woke up in the morning, I still felt it stayed with me. It really stayed with me. So I think it's probably a very important book to read, but also quite confronting. Would definitely recommend it, but just give people a bit of a warning that there will be moments that will make you very sad, I think. So yeah, that's me at the moment. And then I think I'm going to finish now, go back to another book that I'm halfway through um, the Eleanor Ferrante, which I keep meaning to go back to. Number two, have you read any of hers, Todd, my brilliant friend? No, but they're hardly ever on the library shelves for mm. me to borrow. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because they're always out. They're always out. <laughs> they're always out. And I feel like I'm, I've been meaning to read them for years. And I started it, but they're quite violent. They're Again, they're quite – they're not escapism, which is why I needed the Marion Keys. They are – very there's a lot of violence a lot of domestic violence there's a lot of community violence you know they they're kind of difficult as well I'm yeah that's me so not nothing too exciting anything you've been watching that you want to share well I am on season two of a Finnish crime drama uh, mm. called Border Town mm. and yeah I'm really enjoying that it's a crime drama set in a town near the border of uh, Russia and a lot of crimes happen on the border um, and a lot of them involve uh, Finnish people and Russian people uh, crossing the border. And I just like it because it's it's like one crime over two or three episodes. And so, yeah, I like that it takes its time with resolving things and the main character works for this special investigations unit and uses the technique of the memory palace 
to solve crimes and link quite disparate pieces of evidence in order to solve the crime. So yeah, I quite like that. And I've just finished uh, the second season of Street Food. And uh, yeah, the second season of Street Food, uh, Latin America, something the show does really well is it demonstrates how food is connected to culture. And I think that made it easier for me to get into um, the show. And so I really, really enjoyed that. And um, a lot of season two was about, it hops around different countries uh, and a definite thread of the Latin America season was women who came from very little and were connected to men in some way or found themselves in situations like married to men or whatever. And those relationships not really working out and them just wanting to go out on their own. And so that was really, really nice to see women from different walks of life having that same experience, but also finding a way out and a way Mm. out through street food Ooh. and so yeah i really enjoy that so i definitely recommend that it's a really nice watch you know since we've been talking in our recommendations about light and dark <laughs> yes. beautiful that was nell and todd discussing james baldwin's sunny's blues we hope you enjoyed it prefer to discuss these stories yourself we run online meetings of the short story club every second wednesday and there are lunchtime and evening options available you can register for those via the Arrow Library's website. If you're keen to read Sunny's Blues or any of the other books mentioned in this discussion, check our show notes for details. Happy reading! Happy reading!